Welcome back to our channel. A terrible story has just surfaced about Samantha Wolfer, the famous YouTuber. She and her husband were viciously attacked in their own home while they were sleeping. The attacker struck with ruthless precision, taking the couple by surprise. The wife was bound and unable to defend herself while her husband was abducted and subjected to a brutal beating. The horrors continued as the attackers inflicted unspeakable pain and suffering on Samantha's beloved husband. He was mercilessly tortured until his life was no longer worth living. The sound of a single shot echoed, signaling the end of his life and the beginning of a nightmare for Samantha and her five children. As investigators delved deeper into the case, they uncovered troubling details that suggested a sinister plot was at play. They questioned why Samantha was able to call her mother instead of the police when she was tied up. And why was her husband targeted in such a heinous way? The answers to these questions are chilling and terrifying. Join us as we explore the dark and twisted case of Samantha Wolfer and uncover the true nature of the horror that unfolded in their home that fateful night. Our excursion today will take us to Mount Pleasant which is the most populous city in Titus County in the state of Texas. The city believes that it is the crown jewel of northeastern Texas, but in reality, it is famed for. Well, actually, it is famous for absolutely nothing. And with only about 16,000 people living there, the city wouldn't even be able to fill a fifth of Wembley Stadium with its inhabitants. But it's possible that size isn't as important as it seems. Although the city is relatively tiny, it makes up for its lack of size by offering a wide variety of outdoor activities and cultural experiences. The house where Samantha and Ernie live may also be found in this area. Samantha Wolford was born on August 28, 1989, in the United States. She was the eldest of three children, and her upbringing in her loving family of five was generally positive all the way to the turn of the millennium. She was the oldest of the three children. She entered her teenage years as a young lady with an alternative sense of fashion, and as she got older, she became increasingly interested in the digital culture of the Internet era. She remained active on social media throughout her life and she was seldom seen without an online connection. Samantha, who was still a teenager and attending high school at the time, met her first boyfriend when she was 19 years old. That same year, the boyfriend would go on to become the father of her first two children, a set of identical twins. The birth of the twins was a complete surprise. That in and of itself is not problematic in any way. But sadly, Neither the romance or the friendship would continue for very long. They broke up very soon after Samantha gave birth, forcing her to raise her child by herself as a single parent for the rest of her life. Having stated all of that, she discovered that she was in a very precarious position. She had to provide for two people despite the fact that she had very little money, no skills, no occupation, and no clear strategy. At this point in her life, it appeared as though Samantha was just getting started down a very long and difficult road. This would continue to be the case until a few months later, in the year 2008, 
when she found herself entering a tattoo shop for the first time. Samantha believed that it was important to take care of herself on occasion, despite the fact that money was quite limited. And so, adhering to that creed, she made her way down to the neighborhood tattoo parlor and got herself a new body art. She already had a sufficient number of them, so adding one more wouldn't be a problem. But when she was there, she happened to run across another patron, a person she had never seen or spoken to before. Following the unexpected meeting, the two would continue communicating to one another until finally being romantically involved with one another. His name was Ernie. They didn't stay alone for long, and not too long after that, they started dating. This marks the real beginning of our narrative here today. On Christmas Day in 1985, Ernie, whose full name is Ernest Laybara, was born. His full name at birth was Ernest Laybara. Even though his parents were no longer together when he was growing up, he remained in close contact with both of them. He too had the opportunity to grow up in a loving home. Ernie's relatives said that he was a good-natured young guy who was compassionate toward others and ready to provide a helping hand to anyone who needed it, even if it meant giving up the shirt from his back. He devoured books like candy. In his early years, though, he discovered us by phoning and gaming actively, spending many hours playing Halo, Call of Duty, and World of Warcraft. As he grew older, however, he came to us through these activities. After graduating from high school, he pursued his interest in computers by enrolling in schools and beginning work as a carpenter at Telco Woodcrafters. He did this still Samantha entered his life gradually and ultimately. At first, everything seemed to be heading in a positive direction for the two of them. Even though Samantha didn't have a job, Ernie brought in enough money to ensure that the four of them were able to maintain their current standard of living. On the other hand, Samantha would become pregnant once more just a short three years later, in the year 2011. This time around, Ernie would be the father, and the two of them would be responsible for bringing another set of identical wins into the world. There were now two more mouths to feed. But Ernie planned to compensate for this by getting a second job at Little Caesars, a pizza company located in Mount Pleasant. On the other hand, in the year 2013, the pair would actually do it all over again. Samantha would have her fifth and last child, a son, when she was 24 years old. He would be her last child. When they had reached this point in their relationship, things had already begun to get more difficult. It's true that the two lovers had a few spats in the beginning of their romance, but things seemed to get worse as the relationship went on, and some of the disagreements seemed to be over topics that were more philosophical in nature. Since Ernie was such a dedicated gamer, he spent a lot of his time participating in online role-playing games. This meant that he would assume the persona of a character and interact in a virtual world with other players doing the same thing. And throughout the course of playing one of these games, he would have his online character wed another participant in the game. Samantha was overcome with resentment because of the online marriage. The conflict between the two parties eventually escalated into a full-scale brawl. 
Ernie finally decided to put an end to the disagreement by proposing to Samantha. How heartwarming. The habits of gambling that Ernie engaged in frequently served to drive a wedge between them. Samantha said that he wasn't interested in her and the children and that he never spent time with them. But Ernie enjoyed gaming. It was his way of unwinding, which was especially important after working two jobs to support his family. However, because Ernie was not around and Samantha craved attention, she resorted to YouTube in order to sate her cravings and came up with the nickname Simply Manic 675 for her account there. At first, she would publish information that was similar to comments on daytime TV shows. However, as time went on, the posts became more inwardly focused on her own life. Hey, folks, I was requested to appear in a video. 15 odd facts about myself are listed below. First things first, I am a mother of twins. Every time I become pregnant, I end up having identical wins in each of my pregnancies. Vampires are my number four most significant preoccupation in life. They blow my mind in terms of their incredible beauty and coolness. And, like, I adore vampire flicks. Obviously, I'm not a huge fan of the Twilight series. I don't like Twilight. Fifthly, I have a serious problem with using cosmetics. I've definitely got $3,000 to $4,000 worth of cosmetics in my collection. I can't get enough of it. Sixth, I believe it's awesome that people can change their bodies. To give you an example, sometimes I'll just sit here and watch videos on YouTube of people getting their tongue split. The eighth point is that I am one of the most opinionated individuals you will ever meet, and I just despise it when other people sit there. Additionally, if I have an opinion on something and someone else wants to fight with my perspective, it irritates me to no end. I'm a total idealist, which brings me to point number 12. I believe that anything at all is viable as a possibility. 14th place. I've always had the ambition to be in the theater. Okay, fine, I guess that works. I adore you guys. Bye. Samantha started documenting her life in the form of little video blogs. She was often moan about her relationship and her children in these vlogs, revealing that she was having a difficult time coping with the responsibilities of motherhood. On the other hand, she would readily acknowledge that she spent the whole day doing nothing except watching Netflix and playing video games. And throughout this whole conversation, in the background, her children could be heard running around and yelling at each other. I don't comprehend. I guess you could say that ignorance really gets under my skin. I am aware that stupider is not a real word. I get that, and the fact that I do so makes me seem like a broken record. But hey, that's okay. I cannot change who I am. But what truly gets under my skin is idiocy. It is imperative that either a vaccination be developed or a colony be established in which each and every foolish person would be confined to a little room by themselves. Or, because the world really wants to do rid of stupidity, there should be a vaccination for idiocy that everyone is required to obtain.
and that vaccination should be a shot. That irritates me more than anything else, and it does so far more quickly than anything else. Samantha had a sincere belief that her YouTube career was going somewhere and that people enjoyed her material, which is fair enough. But generally, this type of thing takes a lot of time and devotion. Samantha, like many of us who aspire to make it big here on the platform, had a genuine belief that her YouTube career was going somewhere and that people liked her content. As far as Samantha was concerned, she already had five children of her own. Therefore, when Samantha made the decision to focus all of her time and energy on YouTube, it came at the expense of the time spent by both her husband and her children's caregiver. Samantha was determined to fulfill her childhood dream of working in the entertainment industry. And in the meantime, she was becoming an increasing amount preoccupied with her internet presence. She believed that if she worked hard enough, she would eventually become successful on YouTube. Nevertheless, it's unfortunate that her self-perception and reality were so drastically different from one another. Samantha was under the impression that she was rather tall. The concept of fame is subjective, although at the time, her videos seldom had more than 100 views per. The relationship between Ernie and Samantha would continue to deteriorate as time went on, and they moved forward. To put it more clearly, they were suffering from severe unhappiness. The partnership had progressed to the point where both parties felt as though they were being ignored by the other. And despite their best efforts, they were having a hard time maintaining the cohesiveness of such a huge family. Samantha would not waste any time in letting everyone know how miserable she was feeling. She would do so immediately. She would frequently discuss her issues with her pals, and even worse, she would do it in a more public forum on the internet. She went on and on about what a terrible father Ernie was, and spread the rumor that he was violent with her and the children even going so far as to file multiple reports with the police about the matter. In spite of all the allegations, however, there was never any proof to back up this claim. And Ernie's family was adamant that Samantha was making the whole thing up so that she could get more attention. Having said that, neither a confirmation nor a denial can be made in this specific instance. Samantha's harmful conduct became increasingly severe as time passed. And by the end of 2014, her constant complaints had successfully erected an artificial barrier that prevented her and Ernie from communicating with one another. And with that division came an increase in the number of disputes. Arguments that would further drive the two apart, creating additional tension, more negativity, and more whining to take place. And in the end, this vicious cycle would be the impetus for what would ultimately be a fatal conclusion. A phone call from Samantha's end was made to the Titus County Police Department in the early morning hours of February 20, 2015. 911 for the County of Titus. What kind of a crisis are you facing? There is a house invitation waiting for me and my niece has already committed. Is she restrained? He is shackled and muzzled at this point. I am untying her. Who is the victim, and what is their name? 
Samantha Wolfer claims that her in-law struck her husband in the face around five times in an effort to knock him out. It appeared as though the young family had been the victims of a tragic tragedy at 2.19 in the morning. When officers of the law arrived at the scene, there, they discovered Samantha to be distressed and in a state of fear. It appeared as though in the middle of the night, three individuals who were all clothed in black broke into the house that Ernie and Samantha sheared with the intention of kidnapping Ernie. Ernie was carried downstairs and beaten with a handgun as Samantha was restrained on the ground after being pulled from the bed. Samantha was also restrained, and as they made their way downstairs together with him, while Ernie was getting attacked, his assailants wore masks and made sure he was gazing at Samantha the entire time. After that, Samantha was handcuffed and transferred to the second floor, and after a little lull in the action, she finally mustered the strength to drag herself to the nearest phone and dial 911. And despite the fact that she was okay, Ernie could not be located anywhere. Samantha would contact her aunt, and upon her arrival, her aunt would discover the front door broken, and Samantha would be half-bound and gagged. Samantha would also be calling her aunt. Samantha would assert that she could not recognize the men who were wearing masks, especially due to the fact that they were clothed in all black from head to toe. But she did have a notion as to why Ernie could have been the target of the attack in the first place. Despite the fact that the police conducted a comprehensive investigation of the home, Samantha's claim did not appear to make sense. As an illustration, how did Samantha manage to nod herself? And why, instead of calling the police, did she phone her aunt? It appeared that the murder scene itself was riddled with contradictions when compared to Samantha's account of what happened. For instance, there was a glaring absence of blood at the scene of the murder, and no one appeared to have noticed the loud and insistent entry. And how exactly did the intruders pick that particular room to attack in the first place? Not to mention the fact that during this time period, all five of the children were sleeping in the same room, which seemed to be a practical arrangement given that they would ordinarily sleep in different rooms across the home. It wouldn't take the cops very long to begin to question Samantha's account of what happened. In point of fact, they would take her all the way down to the local police station as soon as possible so that they could start questioning her. And as they delved deeper and deeper into Samantha Wolford's thought process, the narrative they pieced together about her would shift minute by minute. Okay, see, both you and I were aware of it. Sam, you are aware that I will not deceive you in any way, and you know that I won't. You already know that I do. The one other thing I am aware of, and I don't even know how I am aware of it, is that it is suspicious. I've been staying overnight with them at the hospital. My bitch Barlet, okay. And because she'll have a boyfriend there, I solemnly swear to God that I can't attend. That you heard any of it from me up there, all right. Simply because they have a huge social circle in this area. There will be a lot of photographs documenting my life. Okay, when I try to talk to my friends about our issue, I have a hard time doing so because he keeps talking about how a guy ought to treat a lady in that manner and how you shouldn't do such things to a person. 
he is going to take action in response to the circumstance. I didn't give him any credence at all. Okay, Sam, you are not in the dark about who is responsible for this. Now, who exactly is it? John is his given name. His Facebook is Rebel. John Rebel. When a narrative shifts throughout the course of an investigation much like this one, it is typically because the person telling the tale has something to conceal. I'm not going to talk about myself in this context. I'm talking about Samantha. And what she was attempting to do was demonstrate to the police that she was completely innocent. The police were aware of that. But Samantha, she was acting as though she were playing a game. And as a result, the cops were had to play. The subsequent stage was to get an understanding of Jonathan's role in the disappearance of Ernie. Jonathan Sanford had a troubled childhood due to his bullying ways, which began at a very young age on and continued throughout his life. It is ironic because shortly previous to Ernie's disappearance, he had just been released from jail for attacking his cousin. He was characterized as an unrepentant guy who didn't care if his activities were unlawful or immoral. The police anticipated that this individual would provide them with a very intriguing interview. After Samantha's admission, both Jonathan Sanford and his brother-in-law, Jose Antonio Ponce, were taken into custody and brought in for interrogation. In addition, Octavius Rhymes was also taken into custody as a suspect and brought in for investigation. This person has the air of a genuine supervillain. And Samantha continued to argue that she had nothing to do with the event, despite the fact that she had dropped their names into a cup of hot coffee. It wasn't until they took Samantha's phone along with the phones of the other inmates that this case was thrown into disarray. And it wasn't until then that the full extent of Samantha's role in her husband's murder became clear. It was discovered that Samantha had requested the police, while they were doing the initial check of the residence, whether she may phone her mother. The officer obeyed, and at 2.30 in the morning, she simultaneously texted Octavius a message that said, Kill phone. Put an end to that nonsense. And not long after that, Upon hearing conversation taking place over the police radio, she sent another text message that said, Ditch phone. Move. Samantha's intention was to assist her hit squad in evading legal repercussions by assisting them in avoiding her adversaries as well as the police. In spite of her valiant endeavors, however, she never once considered the possibility of digital forensics being used against them in the event that any of their phones were ever obtained by them. Samantha did her best to provide an explanation when she was questioned about the evidence, but she was unsuccessful. She said that she had taken the sleeping aid Ambien that night, which was recommended to her by her doctor. Ambien is known to have a number of adverse effects, some of which include memory loss disorientation, and hallucinations. She thus said that she could not recall sending any of those texts and that she had no recollection of doing so. This, however, would not help her case in any way, as it would not take very long at all for the truth to become public knowledge once she was captured. Jonathan made the decision to tell the police the truth 
providing them with the motivation as well as the location of Ernie's body. After Samantha told Jonathan and his girlfriend that Ernie assaulted both her and the children, Jonathan volunteered to, quote, remove Ernie out of the picture. In response, Samantha told them that he abused both her and the children, and Jonathan agreed to assist Samantha get rid of Ernie, along with Jose and Octavius. The original scheme consisted of secretly planting methamphetamine on Ernie and then having him taken into custody. But after they had the pills in their possession and had rethought their strategy, the four of them came to the conclusion that it would be simpler for one of them to just murder Ernie. Instead, Samantha prepared for the event by administering a large dosage of Ambien to all five of the children in the hopes that it will help them remain sleeping. She hid them in a remote room, but she didn't lock the door, so Ernie's attackers were able to enter easily. After that, they would act out a break-in, making it appear as though they had broken in by force. And be sure to kidnap Ernie first. Hijacking. This is Samantha's car. Ernie was completely in the dark about these individuals. He had no idea who they were, where they were taking him, or what they planned to do to him. Throughout the entirety of the drive, he allegedly spent the entire time pleading with his attackers not to murder him or his wife. After that, Jonathan sent Ernie and the other assassins to a desolate woodland near the sand crossing in Camp County. And when they were far enough into the woods, Joe shot Ernie prior to the group leaving the body's location. Certainly no longer alive. Okay, so now that he's passed away, here's what we have to do. It is quite unlikely that he will survive this. After the corpse of Ernie was found, both Jonathan Sanford and Jose Ponce centered guilty pleas to charges of aggravated abduction and first-degree murder. They were each given a sentence of 50 years in prison at their respective hearings in April 2016, which took place in April 2016. And the trial of Octavius Rhymes took place in the month of December of the same year. In spite of the fact that he did not enter a guilty plea, he was ultimately found guilty of the same offense and given a cumulative sentence of 98 years in prison. And then, after a long wait, Samantha Wolford's trial for the kidnapping and murder of her husband was scheduled to commence in September of 2017. The jury did not trust Samantha's assertions that a drug had changed her state because they were not credible. And after a very brief period of discussion, she too was handed a sentence of 50 years in prison for her participation in the act of kidnapping alone. Samantha was found guilty in the second trial for the murder of her husband, and she was given a sentence of 99 years in prison, all of which must be spent consecutively. She was found guilty of abduction and is currently serving her term at the Carroll Young facility in Dickinson, Texas. Her original sentence was for 50 years. This may seem like an easy statement to make at this point in the film, but it turns out that Samantha was completely responsible for the abduction and death of her own husband, despite all that has happened up to this point. She was the genius behind this entire process, from the beginning stages, initiation and debate, all the way to the end stages, action and execution. 
She cannot legitimately refer to Samantha as a mastermind because it is abundantly evident that she did not perform the role of the mastermind to a satisfactory level. Samantha had a highly abstract outlook when it came to the actual world. Despite this, she was quite mindful of what she was doing, even while she was in her delusional mentality. She desired to be alone so that she could focus on her profession on YouTube, and she believed that the death of her husband would get her a lot of attention as well as a lot of compassion from the public. It would appear that she placed a higher value on those two items than she did on the life of a devoted father who held down two jobs in order to provide for his family. She had a secret desire to live in abject poverty and raise her child alone so that everyone would pity her. Instead, she transformed into a monstrous being who no one adores or respects in any kind. But hey, just to lighten the atmosphere a little bit, I was wondering if you knew that Samantha is now accessible to talk to you through jail babes. If this is the kind of stuff that interests you, you now have the chance to have a conversation with the one and only simply crazy 6,075. As a result of the isolation she experienced in jail, Samantha decided to post an ad on the website of Jail Beauties offering her services as a pen friend. In addition to that, she puts in a lot of effort so that she may enjoy herself more. Due to her addiction to caffeine, it is possible that she would pursue a career in the criminal underworld after she is released from prison. On the other hand, I get the impression that she will be kept waiting for a good while. And she overcame every obstacle to become a popular figure on YouTube in the end. See, guys. Dreams do come true. Thank you for your attention to our case today. If you thought that this case included fascinating content, then don't forget to give us a thumbs up. Also, if you haven't already done so, please give serious thought to subscribing to our channel. Keep in mind that you need to look out for each other. Goodbye.